I see it the same in the media industry. That next level of quality information helped me understand the mm. dots around, help me understand the economy around me. Mm. That is what I think is yeah. definitely um, worth paying for. I mean, we believe that anything that generates value must generate revenue. My name is Ada Irikefe, and you're listening to The Experience Code. The Experience Center podcast series discusses the adoption of relevant emerging technologies and trends for impact-oriented professionals and individuals who demand realistic and thought-provoking perspective on the opportunities and challenges presented by these phenomena in our unique environment. Our topic today, Business of Free, explores the growing media industry, its evolving business models and how this industry is being shaped by technology. The question remains, how many of us pay for articles or news feed we read today? And how do we pay, or more importantly, reward the publishers in this industry? This question not only shapes the complexity of the media industry in the software world, but most B2C industries in the current digital economy. So when we talk about PSS competitor at the PwC Experience Center, we refer to the opportunities for emerging players and incumbents to not only challenge each other, but also collaborate on their approach within the industry. To help set the scene and drive our discussion, I have with me Tokumbo Afikuyomi, the Editor-in-Chief at Stairs Business, and Boke Ihore, the Director of Strategy and Innovation at Business Day. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi, Ada. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Okay, so I'm going to start with Voke. Okay. Um, Business Day has been around for 35 years and counting. 20 years, actually. Oh, is it 20? Okay. My bad. <laughs> so I'm wishing big things for you guys then. Yeah, thank you. The one advantage that existed for media businesses such as yours was mass production and distribution. Mm -hmm. Then creative destruction kicked mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. The internet replaced distribution advantages of dominant storefronts. And of course, the PCs made it easier to produce and consume content. At what point did business they realize it needed to make changes to remain competitive? What were your early failures or successes in first response to these changes? Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, um, Ada, for having me on the, on the podcast. Thank you. You asked a very interesting question when you, I mean, you're asking when Business Day discover, you know, the whole disruption. So I think we started to make changes in about 2012. Okay. Because by then, print run for most newspaper houses has started to decline. In the 80s, you had maybe 500,000 copies of newspapers distributed okay. in Nigeria. But as time went on, about 2000, I think that was when we introduced GSM technology that just started coming. It was still very nascent mm. in Nigeria. And then that's when things started to change. Mm. Everything started going mobile. So mm. at about 2012, which was about 11 years after the introduction of GSM, mm. we found out that people were looking for, were starting to consume content mm. on other platforms. So obviously we needed to change the, the, the business model. model. Mm. So we went on and partnered with one of the biggest GSM providers in Nigeria and we introduced a product called Mobile Newspaper Service yeah. and within three years we had gotten over 1.4 million mobile newspaper mm -hmm. subscribers mm -hmm. and then we said to ourselves 2014 that well look looks like that's the way to go mm -hmm. and then we started considering the concept of paid 
digital subscription. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we have to obviously tweak the business model. And when you tweak your business model, it means that you obviously have to now start working backwards. Sure. So there's talent, there's technology, the resources. Mm -hmm. And so we started to make that move at about 2014. But I think we got really serious about it in 2016 when we invited um, the Boston Consulting Group just to come do some work with us and help us revamp, yes, yeah. revamp our strategy. Mm. And that's when we now decided to carve out a digital services business, which I headed at that time. That was obviously, that was just the beginning of the journey. Mm. The idea was to start the work of experimenting. And so we introduced registration so you could register before mm -hmm. consuming content. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to test it and I remember okay. in five days I think we had over 10,000 people register. Okay. Not like we, they were not going to be charged. Sure. So we just said to ourselves, okay, so if people are serious enough to register then they might want to pay. Okay. But that was a very so you wrong... adopted like a freemium. Yes, model. but we were wrong, mm. right? Because I feel like people still believe that Content should be free. We mm. tell you that content is everywhere. But our business, we try to tell you that, look, our content is niche. Mm. And we believe that good journalism should be paid for. So what really happened to your other distribution channels? So your distribution channels that are more brick, bricks and mortar based? I, I don't think it was really about the distribution channels. Distribution channels are still there. Okay. It was more about the consumer behavior. Sure. That was what Definitely. you know inspired yeah. the change in the business model. So the business channels are still there, sure. but of course we had to we had to switch to adapt. Yes, to we had to adapt. Yes, okay. Okay. to the new normal, which makes sense. I mean, that's the way to go. This <laughs> so, Tokumbo, beyond the changes book I mentioned, what other societal and um, technological changes would you say spur the emergence of a business like Stairs? Well, I think the internet, hundred percent, that is the main driver that moved media businesses from print mm. to using just a web-based platform mm. and so for a business like stairs mm. print was not even from from the time we started up around 2014 mm. print was not even like a consideration mm. because the internet allows us to reach mm. the same number of people without that physical copy mm. so that's definitely the first shift in terms of what Rocky was talking about in regarding moving to, to subscription and, and you know demanding or requiring people to pay for mm. content, a few things happened in the media sector that made that shift. So we saw the likes of social media, so mm. the Facebooks, mm. Google, Twitter, Instagram, mm. and businesses took it upon themselves or decided that a better way to reach their audience was via advertising on these sites. They didn't need media companies to do that advertising for them. And so that woke the media sector up in thinking, okay, we need to find other revenue streams, not just revenue, ad revenue based. Sure. Another thing that happened on the consumer side, or that is still happening on the consumer side, is the demand for better quality information, mm. better quality content. Mm. Reuters Institute for Journalism does the report every year and what they're finding is that people are seeing that media industry is good at reporting mm. and letting them know what is happening mm. but not very good at explaining mm. um, what is happening and so that is the space that Stairs definitely has now tapped into. So that requirement, that demand for explaining what is happening in the economy is the gap that Stairs came into back in 2014. There are enough people telling you what's happening in the world but how many people are explaining what is going on or how that actually affects you um, at an individual level and so is that requirement for better quality content mm -hmm. that has also forced businesses to on one side increase the talent of, mm -hmm. of, of say the journalists and that costs money mm -hmm. and so trying to get the reader to pay for the content covers that cost. Okay. 
Would you say you guys are targeting different customers or we're targeting the same customers? I would use an example close to home. My father likes to flip through papers, the newspaper. He enjoys that whole ceremony of receiving his pay his newspaper but at the same time i mean he's 80 he's actually digitally savvy but he says that there's a difference when mm -hmm. it comes to just seeing print on paper as mm -hmm. opposed on a tab what would your response be uh, are we targeting everybody or are we targeting a particular um demographics i mean of course for us i think it's a bit different because you know because there's a print side which obviously mm. would appeal to people like yeah. um, your dad but of course over the years we've seen that there's been a shift right and if you look at the demography people are becoming more technologically savvy of course you have more digital natives and those guys prefer to consume their content mm. online as i said earlier that the behavior has changed mm. and that is what has instigated a change in the business model now the way we see it right to to survive in today's media landscape because we believe that there's an intersection between media and technology Absolutely. in fact globally we're increasingly beginning to see uh, more media companies become technology companies because of what is required to actually run those platforms so there are three major things that we, we believe that publishers should master first the audience you need to understand who your audience are you understand yeah. how do they like to consume their content do they like to read newsletters in the morning sure. do they like to listen to podcasts mm -hmm. such as this when yeah. they go on their morning runs because yeah. obviously everyone is trying to keep fit these days yeah. so what we try to do is understand them and try and create products content that actually meets them at every point second thing you need to understand really is about diversification which is what Tukumbo had mm. talked about for you to survive in the media landscape today you obviously need to diversify mm. you need to explore other ways even in the area of advertising these days advertisers look out for things they never used to look out for before you could do a place of adverts in the paper and you probably just not know how many people saw that advert. These days, we're, we're starting to see them ask questions. They're asking report for reports. They want to understand who's looking at their adverts. Um, and in fact, today, it's not just about the clicks, right, that advertisers look at. Right now, look at the clocks. How much time do people actually spend reading your, your content, right? So that's why, as he said, these days, you find out that content has become king. You actually have to dedicate a lot of resources in developing your resources and then finally you now need to look at your business models mm. what we even see now that's happening is that a lot of media companies globally are now adopting about 14 different business models and what research shows is that for you to remain viable as a media company mm. or a publisher is for you to at least deploy four of those um, business models i mean we talk about incentives and the question would be how do you incentivize your consumers and your journalists so maybe from a consumer perspective what would be your response to a growing expectation that content should be free i know that okay i've initially talked about it but what's your perspective Dokumo? yeah i think it very much as i mentioned depends on the type of content yes it might not seem logical or it might be hard to incentivize someone to pay for breaking news that mm -hmm. they would otherwise get on Twitter mm -hmm. or any of these other mm -hmm. platforms. But when you take the content to another level in terms of, okay, inflation is now 12%, mm -hmm. what does that actually mean? Um, what does that mean for you? Um, what does that mean for the wider economy? And I think something interesting happened during the last recession. I think people are now starting to realize, okay, 
this oil prices thing I keep hearing about, this inflation thing I keep hearing about, is actually having an impact on me. Sure. Can someone explain that to me so that I can make better business decisions, I can make better personal decisions, saving decisions. And so that information is very important. And so that is a level of quality, that's the level of content or quality of content that is worth paying for. One example I've heard of recently in terms of paying for content um, or not paying for content is Big Brother or any of those shows that involve people voting for, right? You get your DSTV or your, your GoTV or any platform you're, you're watching that content on. To, but to go an extra level, to vote for an individual to stay in the house, you need to pay an extra, I don't know what it is, 100 naira yeah. to keep that person in the house. Yeah. And that is you going an extra level to pay for an extra level of quality because you like that particular person. Sure. That next level requires that extra payment. I see it the same in the media industry. That next level of quality information help me understand the mm. dots around, help me understand the economy around me. Mm. That is what I think is sure. definitely um, worth paying for. I mean, we believe that anything that generates value must generate revenue. Mm. I can capture that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. And then when you talk about incentives for the readers, we operate a trifecta model, mm -hmm. which we've fondly called um, content plus community is equal to commerce. So what we try to do is ensure that we generate quality content. We dedicate a lot of investments in trying to ensure that the, the content is right. And as he had mentioned earlier, we also try to personalize the content. These days we're trying to get our people to write stories or write content that matters, things that resonate with people. How does inflation at 12.4%, 12, 12 how does it impact, impact me? What does it mean for me? When we had um, the border closures, obviously price of rice went up, how does that you know impact me? Um, and that's what the content side. For community, we try to create communities, whether online or offline. We try to do that with our conferences, our events. Um, we have SME masterclasses, you know, all of that, just trying to create communities. And then what we now try to do is to harvest those communities to become revenue generating platforms yeah on the part of production the journalists today can either create a direct blog or produce content on standard social media uh, platform as a result of that we now have fake news what are your views and how do you guys handle or how do your organizations handle fake news mm. i mean when you talk about fake news that obviously affects the media industry globally. We believe that, of course, social media platforms obviously be one of them, and then as you had mentioned in the question, uh, bloggers. So those platforms can actually be enablers as well as distractions, so they can create a distraction. Um, because the truth about it is that a lot of consumers, right, are looking for trustworthy platforms. And so the more publishers dedicate time to ensuring that their content is credible, the more then we can make a case for for paid subscriptions because the truth is as more people continue to recognize fake news they keep looking for a source that is trustworthy and that can actually drive people towards paying for content that is trusted and content that they feel is worth paying for i think fake news is a, is a big issue in nigeria and in fact in africa and, and the world steers sees a massive information gap in africa and that is one, the lack of information, and two, misinformation. And you get that via different means. Social media has made it easy for anyone to say something and made it easier for that information to travel, be it true or not. And even with established media houses, you still get misinformation because 
there is this pressure to put things out quickly and so sometimes the example I, I, I always use is how sometimes a media publication will get a governor's name wrong for example and because of the speed you know the next media platform will copy and paste that same wrong name and before you know it is the wrong governor that did a particular thing and not only is there lack of information but that miscommunication issue is, is very important and as he said that is one of the drivers towards okay as a consumer I need to stop where am I actually getting my information from? And that is why it's very important to build a brand, a brand that consumers can trust. That is also what incentivizes journalists to, you know, want to come and work with you. It's because of that brand. Buying into that brand from the, both on the worker side, the journalist side, and also more importantly on, on, on the consumer side. A brand that they can trust is something that's extremely valued. And so that is, again, what STAIRS is, is all about, solving that lack of trust in media. It's a, it's a worldwide issue, but especially in, in Nigeria because of the issue with fake news. That's why at STAIRS we're very big on using data, we're very big on using numbers um, to evidence-base anything we, we say. Great. Across board, I think across various platforms, there seems to be a shift from eyeballing mm. to wanting to listen out for news uh, or maybe audiobooks. A lot of people seem to be tilting towards the ears as opposed to the eyes. Do you expect a change in your business model? I don't know if you've carried out any um, survey in terms of consumer preference. So according to a recent study by One Infra, which okay. is a global body that monitors newspapers and the media landscape, more people are starting to consume content using videos. Mm. Even in Nigeria, you have a lot of people who have Netflix subscriptions. So if it's not Netflix, is Spotify. But between between audio and video, at the moment, video is still pretty much the preferred option. And then what you find globally is that a lot of media houses now have brand studios in-house. What they do is they create studios and they help brands tell their stories. Yeah, not just the typical adverts. I think, yes, I think the world, if you look at the media space, the world is moving towards adding listening as part of media's ammunition. If you go on a you know FT or Bloomberg article website these days, I think I noticed in the last couple of months, there's also an option to actually play the article, um, so to listen to it as opposed to reading it. And I think human beings are different. Some people prefer to listen, to learn, some people prefer to, to watch, will actually write it down. So I think it's catering to the different customers. And I think the big thing in terms of the potential of podcast or audio in Nigeria very much depends on the technology. When I listen to this article, is it free-flowing? Does it sound like Siri? Does it sound like a robot yeah, yeah. You know, dictating it? Or does it actually sound like a normal human being reading this article with the same level of flow that the writer was intending? And on the other side as well, relating to technology is data. So in Nigeria, do people have enough data to actually listen to stuff for that long as opposed to reading it? So I think technology is, is a very big determinant, factor or determinant yeah. in, in regarding um, listening to, to articles as opposed to reading them. Let's quickly talk about the future of media. What does that look like to both Business Day and Stairs Business? I know you've also mentioned about videos, you know, in terms of being one of the preferred channels. What does video first consumption, what does that mean to the average man out there? So future of media, as we've spoken about throughout this show, I think is one that very much looks at more subscription-based model. One where media houses are 
focused on the quality of content and consumers as well are looking for those brands that they can trust and, and educate themselves to understand what's happening around them. So I think in terms of business models, I think we're moving towards um, a more subscription-based model in terms of media houses and as he mentioned as well, doing more on the community side, doing stuff like events and the like. In terms of the type of content, I think media houses are going to experiment. Sure. So okay. you see more in terms of podcasts, in terms of video, that will be experimented and too early to say what will actually kick off in Nigeria, mm -hmm. but it seems that at least globally, podcast seems to be the next thing in terms of the future of media. Video, because we already have broadcasting, mm -hmm. It's difficult to see how the likes of Stereo's business, they really push on that as much as the likes of NTA and the likes would. But very much there is a demand online to, you know, to, to consume content in that way. So I think it would be added to the, to, the, to the admonition, but in terms of how far would it go, it's too early to say. Mm. And then, uh, so for us at Business Day, what, I mean, the future of media for us would be how Publishers are able to master those three monetization strategies that I mentioned, so i.e. consumer behavior, just understanding the consumer. Data around the consumer, around the reader right now is becoming very important for advertisers. And they, I mean, and publishers can only make progress if they have a very sustainable digital revenue that at least accommodates, that, uh, that ensures that you have at least 40% of paid reader revenue that's when you can say look you know what that you are actually on the right track and then another thing we believe is the future of media would be the ability of publishers to be able to diversify their income streams mm -hmm. um, as i mentioned earlier i talked about um, brand studios here talked about podcasts the truth about is that right now advertisers are looking for different platforms to be able to advertise their products so with its podcasts whether it's videos the publisher has to position himself in such a way that he's able to um, provide platforms for the players to express themselves and as I said before finally how well are they able to develop very flexible business models because increasingly we are beginning to see publishers do other things. They become new retailers. The Wall Street Journal, for instance, will sell wine. The Financial Times have something they call How to Spend It, which will probably have like a listing of different luxury products. I think in 2017 alone, they made about 5.4 million pounds from How to Spend It alone. So the future of media actually lies on how publishers are able to explore the three business models houses are doing is introducing what they call partnerships so what you find is that platforms like Facebook like Google what they do is they, I think Google has what they call Google News okay. so what they try to do is put their news on those platforms and try to direct the users from the Google platform to their sites as a way of driving um, traffic you also have other platforms that curate content so you even have Apple News so what they try to do is partner with Apple put their content on there to access their own audience so that way they popularize whatever it is they're doing so instead of competing with the likes of apple facebook google so win -win yes so you just partner with them yeah. because the truth is those guys consumers again back to the issue of of carefully curated content those guys have people who want content that is trustworthy sure. yeah so for now that's the way to deal with them okay. so come on, i don't know if you want to add anything yeah i think you know aggregators just like you know, Google News, Apple, yeah. uh, Apple News are a very big um, part of the media mm. sector now. Um, that's an increasing part of the way people are receiving content. Mm. And I think when you're talking about Google and Facebook, Facebook mm. being competitors, that is really only relevant or is very relevant when you're thinking in the revenue space 
or the ad, the ad revenue space uh, rather, uh. advertisers would, would think to themselves, I'm better off advertising this thing mm. on a Google or a Facebook, sure. I'm going to reach the, the audience sure. I want to than I would yeah. Yeah. Um, on, on, a, on a media publishing mm. site. Mm. But then when you now start to move towards a subscription model, you don't actually care about mm. that anymore. Um, you have your community of, of, of users mm. and that is all you care about. You're making content for your users. Mm. You're not bothered about advertising you're not than you. You're not worried about what Facebook is doing sure. because Facebook is not giving that quality sure. content you are creating. Sure. Um, so that is why, I guess throughout this conversation, we are, the theme has been, you know, subscription-based models mm -hmm. is the future of, of media. And, you know, another thing you're doing there is creating a community of engaged, insightful readers. And that's the space that's also still very valuable to, to advertisers. So even if you're still mixing up subscription and revenue mm. ads, what you have is actually still special mm. relative to what you know a mass Facebook uh, could have. Because we're trying to reach their own audience, mm. right? So right now you're faced with a, in a, with a situation where the aggregator now says, okay, look, it looks like I have a lot of followers. Why don't I just forget about these people and create my own capacity? Right? So they create their own newsrooms, create their own content, and then exploit their own communities, forgetting the other guys that they would have been getting content from before. Hmm. That's, as Okumbo has mentioned before, really, for you to play in publishing these days, you have to ensure that you have the right technology hmm. for you to fully maximize the opportunities hmm. that lie in creating your own community. Otherwise, you stand the risk of depending on other platforms. Okay, we touched a little on the growing personalized consumption within the social media platform. Is Business Day currently providing any form of personalized consumption of content? So yes, we are. As I said earlier, the advertising, which is pretty much still, as far as Nigeria is concerned, is still the major um, revenue generator for most publishers. What we try to do is ensure that we create personalized content. It's moved from clicks to clocks. Advertisers are not asking really about clicks. What they care about right now are clocks. How long are people um, spending reading your stories? We talked about investigative reporting. The only reason I can sit here and confidently say that what most readers want right now is investigative journalism or invest content that has been carefully curated mm. is because we watch the numbers. There's data that shows that shows that people actually want this type of content, and that's how we are able to make investments in ensuring that our technology is able to is able to curate personalized content um, for the reader, and while also providing data for the advertisers. I like what you've mentioned about clicks and clock. Can you expand a little bit? I understand click, clock. Okay, when we just started the uh. digital journey, um, you had advertisers talk about page views. Okay. They wanted clicks. How many people are clicking on the adverts? Sure. How many people are clicking on the story? What is moved from that now? Someone can click and spend two, three seconds and the person is moved on, okay. right? You don't know anything about the person, sure. right? You don't know what the person likes. Mm. But when you talk about clocks, mm. clocks is how much time does the reader spend reading a story or how long do they actually spend on your site? Mm. That way you'll be able to gauge one, how to create a, a, a messaging within a particular time mm. and how best to engage mm. with the with the readers. Mm. Tokomo, how does your team use artificial intelligence and analytics to drive customer engagement or add effectiveness? 
Yeah, so I think analytics is a huge part of any media publishing house. You need to be hyper-focused on the user of the content. You have to be hyper-focused on your customer. And so using data and analyzing that data to figure out what it is consumers want, what time they want it, where they want it, it's extremely important. So you know, we are constantly looking at our numbers. We have dashboards that we're always looking at different tools that we're using to make sure that we're learning more about our customers and also you know, deciding and making calls in terms of you have an ad company on one side, you have a customer on the other okay. side, how best can we match okay. the two? Okay. And another space where AI and, and, and analytics is good for is finding other consumers that are similar to the ones you already have. So you know, using data to figure out who are your consumers and where can I find a similar type of person to come and read my content. And then I also wanted to add that increasingly what we starting to see is that publishers are starting to introduce the use of chatbots. So if you come to the site, you can actually subscribe, ask questions, and then there's, you always get a response. I mean, putting a paywall means that you need to have a 24-hour service. Yes, we have a call center that responds to subscribers when they have issues, but they're not 24 hours. So we try to use AI to cover up that. To yes, that. To, yes, that. Um, um, it's, it's been said that uh, the workforce of the future absolutely is a combination of human absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what the ratio would be in the next <laughs> five <laughs> in the next five five years. But. I, I mean when you talk about the workforce of the future, what yeah. we I mean so in the eighties, yeah. in the nineties, my, my my dad is a retired journalist. So yeah. I can tell you that, you know, then they would look out for people who studied Mascom. Once you yes, studied Mascom, yes. everybody else, you're yeah. gonna end up in a newspaper house or a radio a radio house. But the way it is now, the workforce in publishing is changing. So you could walk into a media house and find out that there are developers there, there's a data analyst. The um, business thing, there's a role we call the head of audience engagement. So that that's someone who just sits down, looks at data, and tries to ensure that the content is fit for consumption. Again, the, the, this whole intersection between media and technology, it's it's really caused a huge disruption yeah, for publishing. Huge. No, I, I, you know, it, it sort of makes sense, and I think it 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 gives everybody an opportunity to play in whatever space you have uh, passion for. Okay, so we always have three questions, standard questions, that we ask all our guests to provide um, their own perspective on. So the first one is, what is the last prediction you got wrong? It doesn't have to be media focused. <laughs> I think the last prediction I, I got wrong, I hope they don't arrest me for this, <laughs> but um, <laughs> was that there was going to be a change in government. And I mean, everyone had, had thought that there was going to be change in government, given the economic um, indicators, um, which were not exactly favourable. Um, at least I know that every Niger most Nigerians um, who, who are serious about business would have had issues with the way the economy was going. Sticking to the theme of elections, um, <laughs> at Steers, I, I don't know if many people know, but Steers actually has two groups. There's Steers Business and there's Steers Data. And Steers Data does a lot of work in terms of advisory and and building platforms to also solve that information gap. Last election, both those teams came together to build an election center. So basically, it was a platform where you could come and view live results of the election. And in terms of predicting, we thought, okay, this is like a small project we'll do on the side and maybe we'll get a few views. Very, very wrong predictions there. Like, I think in like a space of a week, we had like 7 million views, which is more than, you know, what the business was doing before the whole year. So. Sticking to elections, it's incredible how much interest there is in Nigeria 
in that space, figuring out who's gonna win, who's not gonna win, or just politics in general. Mm. Nigerians have love that stuff. Okay, what's one view you seem to find very few people agree on? Okay. That content should be paid for. As I was saying earlier, that a lot of people don't feel like they should pay for content. I mean, they get content from anywhere, which makes them stand the risk of fake news, getting fake news. We always try to ensure that we emphasize the value of taking on a business day subscription because it's really funny how people in Nigeria just feel like, you know, they can get content anywhere, it's everywhere, social media, it's all over the place. But what we try to do is ensure that we emphasize the importance of taking a, a subscription and paying for journalism. As I said before, we believe that good journalism should be paid for. I guess I'd say that Nigeria is a big country. In many ways, Nigeria is actually still very small. When you think of it from our industry, media industry, or even retail, when businesses or companies want to come to Nigeria and say they want to sell to Nigerians, what they find is that the market isn't as big as they thought. A lot of that is driven by the amount of poverty in the country. Mm. There are around 100 million Nigerians, like under two dollars a day. And so the economy is not generating anything. The country is still a very small country when you think about it from that perspective. Active agents mm. in, in the industry, the FT has something like one million subscribers, right? Are there one million Nigerians to pay for content? A CEO of, I think Evernote once said that to get one million subscribers, you need one billion people to actually want the content to begin with. That space doesn't exist in Nigeria. The economists, I think, they just don't have that many subscribers in Nigeria and Africa as a whole. Um, and as a result, the content they provide for Africa is of lower quality than what they normally produce on, say Brexit, or something where their subscribers are actually paying for. So I generally think that Nigeria is still quite small and there's a lot of room to still grow. Our previous interviewee, Goke Ulubisi, CEO of Helium Health, has a question for you. You may have addressed this during um, the conversation, but let's be more specific here. His question is, what about Nigeria would you like to change that you think would transform the industry you work in? Well, I think speaking to technology would be data costs. Hmm. I feel like if data was made cheaper, publishers would be able to express their content in various formats. So if it's video or podcasts, people would be able to consume content in whatever format and not worry about the costs. And that way they're able to even experience scale um, in terms of their technology and even in terms of revenues. And we'll be able to experiment with different forms. To add to that, have you, I mean the media, have you guys thought about partnering with um the data providers? As I said earlier, when we partnered in 2014, which was what showed us the um, opportunity, when we partnered with the mobile newspaper service, as I said, within six months, we had grown to 1.4 million subscribers. That's way light years ahead of the Financial Times sure. even reaching 1 million sure. subscribers on their digital sure. platform. But of course, they will not count that because that was using a, a mobile service provider as a partner. Sure. So of course, the opportunities for scale mm. if we were to partner with other sectors. Sure. Cool. Same question to you, Tokuma. I think I would change about Nigeria is definitely education. Mm. I think we have too many um, uneducated Nigerians and when you educate people, they then have the ability to engage with these conversations that we're having in, in the media industry. 
there's no civic engagement in Nigeria. I mean, it, it exists, but we can do we can do we more. Can do uh, more. We just need to educate, you know, this, our citizens to give them the ability to engage with, with, with sure. media. And so that's definitely the thing that sure. that I would change. Sure, sure. And engagement leads to empowerment. Of course. Okay. So to conclude, we always say that disruption is interrelated. What's one perspective you'd like to get from our next interview? By the way, we don't know who our next interview is, so it's free flow. <laughs> Will they still be doing their job in 30 years' time? Or would they be replaced? Interesting. We'll find out in the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very good question to ask. Would they still be relevant in 30 years? Great. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank you.